0: Well, we have a couple of burning questions for you this morning. This is also found in Isaiah chapter 33. And I'm going to start reading of verse 10. Isaiah chapter 33, starting with verse 10. So chapter 33 has been talking about uh, some great distress, national distress, that Israel was going through. They were in a position that they were not able to help themselves. Treaties had been broken, and they were under severe threat. Starting with verse 10, God says, Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. You conceive chaff. You give birth to straw. Your breath is a fire that consumes you. The people will be burned as if to lime, like cut thorn bushes, they will be set ablaze. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell? with the consuming fire, who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? He who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortresses. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him." So it's a serious question. It's talking about the nature and the character of God. His holiness, His righteousness. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? You ever think about God in terms of holy fire? We know that oftentimes in Scripture that people who, had, who were sinful and they approached God were destroyed. And this goes way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it's talking about the curses for disobedience. And it's a pretty sobering list. And it's talking specifically about idolatry Uh, and we can start again with verse 10 Uh, Deuteronomy their Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land they've been through the forty years wandering and Moses Deuteronomy is called the second law it's like his last will and testimony he's addressing them and then when he's through um, he's gonna go up on top of the mountain and die And there will be a shift in leadership and everything else, and then they'll cross the Jordan River. So he's reminding them of their history, their own personal history. And some of those, many of those that were there that day, would also have been alive um, about 38, 39 years earlier when they were at Mount Sinai. So he's telling them, reminding them. He says, remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Mount Horeb. Horeb's another name for Mount Sinai. When he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. And So he's going to warn them about, very specifically, about um, creating idols. And he gives them... Quite a few examples there, from animals to people to stars in the sky, heavenly things. So we'll pick up here with verse 20. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. And he talks about how God was angry with him personally because of Moses lost his temper and sinned against God. So now we're down in verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God is forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Well, lest we think that's just the Old Testament, in the book of Hebrews, talking about this very same thing, quotes from Deuteronomy 4.24. This is in Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Christian church and he's reminding them about the nature and character of the God that we serve. God has not changed his basic nature and character. It's very consistent Old and New Testament. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 starting with verse 25 He's talking about um, how people were judged who heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai and failed to obey. And he says that God now has spoken to us through his Son. So he says in verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So God is a a consuming fire. Uh, As the children were reminding us, fire can do several things. It can cleanse, it can purge, it can refine in the smelting of the fire, uh, melt down and burn up all the impurities. It can cleanse, it can make holy, it can also kill, and destroy. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of the Ancient of Days and he says that the Ancient of Days comes and he sits on the throne and he says the throne and the wheels were all aflame, flaming fire, the throne of God. And a river of fire that was flowing out from before the throne. And then it talks about the thousands upon thousands of people that were worshiping and praising him. So in these visions of God, fire oftentimes plays a very big part. We know that the fire of God destroys his enemies. And Psalm 97 says, fire goes before him and consumes all his foes. And we know that there are uh, many examples of this. New Testament as well. Hebrews again, chapter 10, verse 27. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. We have examples of this, uh, we think about Nadab and Abihu, y'all remember Nadab and Abihu? Y'all remember those guys? These were two of the four sons of Aaron, they were the oldest two, which means that they were the first priests anointed before God. These men had been with Moses and with Aaron their father, when they went up partway on Mount Sinai, they saw the form of God and ate and drank in his presence. They were there when they saw, they prayed for, the, uh, for God to consecrate the tabernacle and fire from heaven came down and consumed the sacrifice as they were offering it there. These men had seen tremendous revelations from God. But it's recorded about four times, four times it's repeated in the Old Testament that these two men decided that they were going to offer unauthorized fire and put it in their censers to burn incense before God. And so they were very presumptuous and very proud and arrogant because of what they had received. And so they put fire unauthorized by God, and this was at the very beginning, right after the fire from God had fallen and consumed the sacrifices. And they went out with their censers, and fire from the altar came and burned these men to death. They died on the spot. Years later... You remember there was another instance when uh, another group of priests, uh, Korah and Dathan and their groups. Well, Korah and Dathan, these men were were priests. They were Levites. They were actually cousins of Moses. And they said, this guy's taken all the the power and credit for himself. We're just as important as he is. And they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron and against uh, God. And this was the the time when Moses asked that God would would destroy them in an unusual way so that they would know that this was God doing it. You remember the earth opened up and swallowed them all alive. But there were 250 priests. These were leaders of the community, Um, powerful men in their own right. And they had sided with Korah, and they had come out and were putting um, incense in their censers, 250 of them, And the fire of God came out that day and burned all 250 of those men, and they died. So these are not just empty words. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, writing to the church, Peter's talking about the end of the world coming. And in chapter 3, starting with verse 7, He's been talking about the flood with Noah's day, and then he shifts gears here in verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow In keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be be destroyed in this way, what kind of people... Ought you to be? He's asking this of the church, Christian people. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. <clears throat> but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of Righteousness. And Paul in 2 Thessalonians. Sometimes we have a, <clears throat> a faulty idea of the nature and character of Christ. We think about Jesus, mild-mannered, meek, a lowly person, but he was an extremely powerful man, probably the most powerful man that ever walked this earth. He's God in the flesh. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 6 through 10. And note the context. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So it's pretty sobering things, isn't it? Uh, Fire of God, um, consuming his enemies, destroying those who are presumptuous of him. And these letters, uh, these men who were destroyed that we talked about, Nadab and Abihu, Korah and his followers, these were part of the the Jewish people, priests, chosen people. But in their arrogance and the sin and the hardness of their heart, they didn't have the proper understanding of the nature and character of God. So what about us as Christians? Uh, Paul, writing to Thessalonians, says there's going to be a difference between those who destroyed at the coming of the presence of the Lord and those who are faithful to him. Oh, thank you. And that's going to be a great um, comfort and assurance for us. But the fire has other things in mind for us as well. In Isaiah chapter 1, God speaking through this great prophet. Again, the context is him talking about idolatry. Verses 29 through 31. <clears throat> Again, he's talking to God's people who are playing with idolatry and trying to go about the outward performance of what it meant to walk with God, but there was no depth or sincerity in their heart. So he starts with verse 29. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tender and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. So he's saying that when people live their lives in that way, the works which they do will contribute to um, the fire in which they find themselves passing through. Not just Old Testament. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now He's writing to Christian people people in the church and he says by the grace God has given me I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds he's comparing himself with Apollos an, another apostle because the people at Corinth had started taking sides about who they who they like to follow and began to, to condemn one another and judge one another because of that. So Paul's writing about this because he's the one who initially founded the church at Corinth. He says, I've laid the foundation as an expert builder, the foundation being Christ. And everyone else after that is going to be building on that foundation. So he says we need to be careful. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, it's the day of the Lord, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire. Now we have been reminded here lately about um, how destructive nature can be. People up in Oklahoma with that tornado that went through there. Um, Some of those people were very well off, uh, extremely well off. And just a very few minutes later, Everything they had was gone, materially. Everything they had materially was gone, and it didn't take long. Paul is writing to the church, and he's saying as Christian people, we need to be careful, we need to be aware of what we build into our lives and what we build into the lives of those around us, because it will be put to the test. It will be passing through the fire, either now or when we stand before the Lord. And what he's going to be looking at is the the motivation of our hearts and the quality of our relationship with him. And there's a lot of kingdoms being built these days. Not all of them them are the kingdom of God. A lot of kingdoms in the church are being built these days. Not all of them are the kingdom of God. So sometimes as the, the work and the quality of our lives are put to the test, We will see who we are and where we stand in the presence of a holy God. So, Jeremiah tells us that God's word is like a fire. And some of the prophets talked about the word of God being a fire in their bones, compelling them, motivating them, empowering and enabling them. We think about the story that they shared in the children's church today about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, the, the problem was um, idolatry. This was a state-supported, state-financed, um, and state-compelling the people to bow down before an idol made of gold. It was a huge, massive thing, maybe 50 feet tall. thing was huge, standing up on the plain of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king in that whole area at that time, was commanding people. When you hear the sound of the music, everybody's on your face. And when the sound came, um, there in the capital city, thousands of people on their face, but there was three noticeable people standing up. And when everybody else is bowing down and you're standing up, you become very conspicuous. You are a witness without saying a word, just by your posture. And we are living in days when this is going to become more and more a reality. Um, If we are really following and walking with the Lord, we will be conspicuous in our society and the the people that we associate with. It will be noticeable, undeniable, if we are taking the stand that we need to take. This was a life-threatening thing for these three men, and they knew it at the time. And they were hauled before the king, and they said, accusations made, and the king says, look, um, I value you men, and I'm going to give you a second chance. This was a gracious thing, which this king was not known for graciousness. And these were, these were uh, dictators, absolute dictators, and they did not like anybody crossing them in any way. And um, later on in the Persians, if you went into their presence unasked for, he, that could be, that could cost you your life. So you didn't do these things lightly. And so this man was being very, very gracious to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I will give you a second chance. Bow down and worship, and everything's fine. We'll forget about the past. Incredible offer from this kind of man. And these men, taking their life in their hands with no assurance of the outcome, knowing what's coming, Um, this a a furnace right there and it's already got fire in it and if you've been close to fire it radiates heat especially a hot fire you don't have to get real close to get real hot so it's all right there it's one thing to say it sitting here this morning it's another thing you're getting ready to go be tossed in there and these men stood up and they said king we hope that you live forever and we just want you to know um, The God we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand. But even if he chooses not to, we want you to know we're not going to bow down to your idol. Respectful, but firm. King gets so angry, he commands it to be heated seven times hotter than it was supposed to be. And here's the thing about grace of God. We talk about the grace of God as if, as if it's some weak thing that um, may show up sometimes or not. The grace of God is such a powerful, powerful thing, and it's a very violent thing. Sometimes we forget how violent the grace of God really is. So the king, in his anger and in his arrogance, um, who do you think you are, don't you know who I am? To so these big, strong bodyguard soldiers Grab those guys and throw them in. So they grabbed them, and as the children were telling us this morning, the only ones who died that day were the soldiers who tried to throw them in. They didn't even get close to the fire. They got got close enough to throw them, and that was the last thing they did because they died because of the excess heat that was there. This was an exceedingly hot fire. The only thing that was burned were the soldiers that threw them in, and the bondage, the, the, the ropes that tied them, those things were gone. And these men, uh, thrown down into this fire, found out that they were not alone. The presence of God was there. An angel had been sent by God. And those men walking in this fire that's so hot it killed men that were trying to just get close enough to throw something in. They were standing up walking, and they walked out of that fire. And not even their clothes smelled like smoke or heat. Um, if you've been in, in, around fires much, you know that it's not only smoke that smells. It's, there's a, there's a, a, an odor that just comes from heat being close to that, that heat that has nothing to do with smoke. It's just the, the, the heat of the fire. There's a, a smell that comes with it. They had none of that. And the only thing that was consumed was the sinful things that bound them. I think they were remembering Isaiah 43, which Luke read to you a little earlier this morning. I'll read it again. So the question comes, who can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with eternal burnings? In Isaiah 43, The Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set upon you and they will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And that's what he was to those three men that day. And the promises of God are true. If we belong to him and his name is upon us and he calls us by name, we don't have anything to fear. Psalm 97, verse 10, Let those who love the Lord hate evil for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked and the testimony of nebuchadnezzar is nobody saves like he can on the day of pentecost he tells us that jesus was the one who was to baptize us with the holy spirit and with fire we like to focus on the holy spirit nature and character of God focuses on the fire. It's that which changed these men, the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, uh, burning away their fears. These men were different after that Pentecost Sunday. And they had been hiding behind locked doors out of, in fear for their lives. Locked doors, locked windows. Furtively scurrying around because the men who killed Jesus were still very alive and very powerful and very present. After the day of Pentecost, their fear was gone. They get beaten and threatened and they go back and pray, God, make us more bold in our witness. The doubt was gone, the fears were gone. They knew power and the presence of the risen Lord. So we like to think about the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove, and he does. But it's a burning dove. On fire. So we're praying that God sets us alight, anew and afresh, that the light of his witness and his power and his glory and his holiness might be seen in and through his people again. So God calls us to be bearers of the light. And that's what we are. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have given us the light of life in the face of Christ. And we're thankful, Lord, that as you come, that life is a life that's holy a life that's pure, a life that's filled with your presence and your spirit that works within us to recreate in us the image of God in its fullness. And We know that that image is holy and righteous and good. So we pray that the fire of your spirit will cleanse us, the fire of your word would be deep in our hearts cleansing us from our wrong motives, our selfishness and self-centeredness, cleansing us, Lord, from our fears and our doubts, cleansing us from the, the things that would tend to draw our attention and our concern, the idols in our life. We pray that those things would be burned and consumed and that as we stand in your presence, we would know the fullness of life and joy and peace that you've come to give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.